As we near the conclusion of 1 Corinthians, I, uh, this section that we're looking at tonight is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because as we near this conclusion, you've got to bear in mind that, you know, Paul has been, you know, I hate to say it this way, this is probably not a good adjective to use, but he was pretty brutal on the church at Corinth there. Uh, he had to just deal with some, just really some tough issues there. He had to deal with people issues and carnality, and he had to deal with divisions, and he had to deal, you know, just a number of things. He had to deal with, uh, with, with you know, uh, gifts of the Spirit issues, and, you know, and dealing with the abuse of the gift of tongues, and, and he had to deal with, you know, immorality, and he had to deal with idolatry issues, he had to deal with with uh, Christian liberty and, and the misuse of Christian liberty. I mean, just he had to deal with a myriad of th- different things there in that church. And quite honestly, you hear me say every now and then that this was, quite frankly, a very dysfunctional church that Paul had to deal with there. And uh, you would think that that church that, you know, just by the time he got to got done with chapter 15, dealing with the resurrection, because there were some issues on that, you would think that perhaps that maybe there was no more to, that Paul had to say. But he really ends 1 Corinthians on a good note, just like he began it on a good note. And he ends in a good note because Paul here in verses 10 to 20 is acknowledging people who had a special place in his heart. Now, I want to say this tonight. When Paul mentions names and he acknowledges people, he wasn't showing favoritism on one end and he wasn't showing dislike on another. And I think we have to be very, very careful because, you know, in this day and age, when we, you know, just the way people think and how they're wired in this 21st century, you would think, well, there goes Paul. He's just showing favoritism to certain people there. And he's just saying things about Timothy and about Paulos and, and Achille and Priscilla. But what about this guy? hearing about this guy there and you know there's this equality mindset people have but you got to remember paul was in the trenches of ministry i mean paul was on the firing line and you have to remember these people he's mentioning he's people that were these are people that were extreme in their discipleship and extreme in their love for god and these were people that were very dear to paul in one way or the other so he made no bones about the fact that he wanted to acknowledge these people how special they were to him and uh, and and just how they they were just being used of god and he wanted the church of Corinth to recognize these people, especially the one we're going to look at tonight. Now, I think undergirding all this is something Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. You might want to write that down today. Don't look at it right now. But he made this statement. He said, you know, he was dealing with carnality and divisions in the church. And he said, you know what? I just want you to know that we are laborers together with God. Now, I don't know about you tonight watching my live stream, but I'm just thankful tonight we are laborers together with God. I'm thankful it's not a lone ranger mentality. I'm thankful it's not one ministry and one man trying to get it done. We are laborers together with God. Somebody help me there tonight. You ought to say amen at home. We are laborers together with God. And when we think about that tonight, we think about the fact that Paul used a phrase to describe Describe people that he served with at church, and he called them companions in labor. In fact, he coined that term in, in describing a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was, I believe, perhaps was a pastor at the church at Philippi at one time, just the way Paul describes him in Philippians chapter 2. And his name, Epaphroditus, he has a, that was a prominent name there because we know of about a man by, by the name of Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church at Colossae. Both their names mean the same, means lovely. They were lovely in character. They were lovely in their temperament. They were lovely in their attitude. They were lovely in their service for God. And Paul describes this man, Epaphroditus, as a companion in labor. Now, we use the word companion kind of as an associate, uh, kind of as somebody that is kind of a right alongside, but in Paul's time, the idea of a companion, it had the idea of synergy, it had the idea that they, they knew what each other was thinking, it had the idea they worked the same. I mean, just it was a great thought. So Paul, as we read the closing part of 1 Corinthians 16, we go to Romans chapter 16, we go to other epistles that Paul wrote, he made no bones about the fact that he wanted to acknowledge his friends, real friends, true friends. 
Now, somebody's not your friend just because you have a similar interest or you like going bowling together, or playing badminton together, or, going, or hanging out, playing ba- uh, you know, basketball, whatever. That's, that's all good stuff. But, you know, real biblical friendships, real biblical friendships, true friendships, they are authentic friendships. And they're not centered on hobbies. They're not centered on occupations. They're not centered upon the commonality of what we do as a, as a living outside the church. It's based on the fact that we love Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is built on the fact that, you know, it's not because we go to the same church, but we love Jesus Christ as Savior. We have the same philosophy and idea about church. It's just the fact we like hanging out with each other because of the fact we want to win souls for Jesus Christ here. And so I think about some of my close friends outside of Heritage Baptist Church that, that, that I, I love being with. And I'd be honest, quite honestly, I started thinking about them, praying about them. But yesterday as I, as I was working on this message. And I just thought, man, thank God for these companions in labor. Thank God for these guys who are in the trenches. Thank God for these guys who put their necks on the line or doing all that they, they do there. So this, this next few weeks here, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and glean some insights about Paul as a mentor, as a spiritual leader, and as a friend. And tonight, notice in verses 10 11, he speaks about a friend whose name in the Greek means honoring God. Honoring God. That's a great name, amen? Honoring God. One word, Timothy. Honoring God, Timotheus, Theos, honoring God, a man who honored God. Now, he was given that name before he became a Christian. Amazing thing. He was given that name by a Jewish mother. He had a Greek father, but he had a Jewish mother. And I think his mother had enough influence, as well as his grandmother had enough influence, Eunice and Lois, to say his name will be Timotheus or honoring God. And so tonight, we look at this man by the name of Timothy. And Paul made some remarkable things, but one statement he made that jumps out at me, which I'll get to tonight, is in verse 11. He said, let no man therefore despise him. I'm going to tell you something tonight. Paul loved his friends in the ministry. Now, we live in a world and time, relationships are very shallow. And relationships aren't very deep. We're busy people. We're hither and thither. But Paul, Paul had some real relationships. He had some true, real friendships. Friendships that meant much to him. He would die for and they would die for him. And I want you to see some things tonight about this young man by the name of Timothy, who he said, let no man despise him. Now, I want you to see some things. I want you to see four things, characteristic traits. This is good training to us tonight in terms of understanding ministry, how to recruit people, what we look for, things of that nature there. And uh, some of you men, God might call you to the ministry one day, and, or you may, you're in the ministry now. You ought to listen very carefully tonight. Number one, I want you to notice, I want you to notice the proof in Timothy. The proof in Timothy. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Philippians chapter 2, because we need to understand some of the background to this about Timothy and why Paul had such an affection for Timothy and why he called on Timothy many, many times. And you're going to hear me say this over and over again tonight. Timothy was God's, was Paul's go-to man. Now, that's important. Timothy was Paul's go-to man. Now, I want to challenge some of our men tonight. I have a couple men like that here in church are you, are you a go-to man? Are you somebody that you know the heart of your preacher that you can say, I know exactly what he wants done. I know exactly what to do, and I will be right there for it. Now, I want you to see some things about Timothy. First of all, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. We're talking about the proof of Timothy. And he said here in Philippians chapter 2, 
but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send. Now, here again, same concept to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now before Paul ever sent Timothy out to do the work of the Lord, he always prefaced it by saying, by telling the group he was going to send, the church he was going to send Timothy to, he always would preface it by saying, you know the proof of him. He would talk about the credentialing of this man. He would talk about the character of this man. He would talk about even the competency of this man. He would even talk about the chemistry of this man. He would talk about the chemistry that he had with the Apostle Paul. And he says, you know the proof of him. Now I want to start off by, as we look at the proof of the proofing of, of, of Timothy through, uh, and Paul's usage of him, go with me to verse 22 in Philippians 2, and he makes mention of the fact that Timothy was a son. Now he was not a biological son. He was not an adopted son, but praise God, he was a son in the faith. He was somebody that he nurtured in the Lord. I'm not really sure, but I, I, but I can't really prove it, but I believe, I, I think I, I, I can just kind of give you the passage where I think it happened. But I believe that Timothy was a, was a product and a fruit of Paul's first ministry, uh, missionary endeavor down there at Derby and Lister, recorded in Acts chapter 14. I believe it was down there that Paul preached. I believe it was there when he preached there and preached the gospel. I said something about this on Sunday morning. I believe that there that Lois and Eunice... And then Timothy, they all got saved. I believe Lois and Eunice had a unique uh, influence upon Timothy, and he got saved there. And uh, the Bible says constantly, Paul referenced the fact that he was a son with the father in verse 22. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he said, I have, he said, for this cause, I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son. That's kind of interesting. He says, he's my son in the gospel, but he's a beloved son. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, he said unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, 2 Timothy 1, 2. Now, Timothy, he considered his son. Now, when he says son, there's a, there's a, there's a place I'm going to go with this in a minute. As a son in the gospel, he was someone he took under his wings. He was a man he took under his shadow, and he invested in him, and he trained him with the purpose of him continuing the work of the ministry. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, we find Paul getting ready for a second mission trip. He's, going, he's leaving Jerusalem. As he leaves Jerusalem, he's been there. He has a new team he's assembled. Silas is with him. Paul and Barnabas had a rift. Barnabas took, took John Mark with him and went back to Cyprus. I mean, John Mark, and you say, well, wait a minute. If they had a rift, one of them was carnal. I don't think any of them were carnal. I just think this is what happened. I, I believe both men were right. I think they were, both had a right and sincere attitude. Paul's attitude was he had concern about reliability. He said, hey, listen, he, he left us before. I'm just not sure he's ready. I'd like to prove him. And I think that's Paul's mindset. He's developing philosophy ministry at this point in time. And I think he just kind of felt like, you know what? If Don Mark's going to come, he needs to prove himself, but not on this team. We're going to parts unknown. We're going to places we haven't been. We're going to plant some churches. I can't risk this guy leaving again. It's a bad testimony. It's going to rub me wrong. And I think Paul had a concern about reliability. He should have a concern about reliability. I kind of side with the Apostle Paul. I concur with Paul's idea there. I concur with Paul's attitude. If he's not reliable, don't have him. On the other hand, Barnabas, whose name means the son of consolation, the son of comfort, he was a man filled with the grace of God. I mean, everywhere Barnabas went, he was an encourager. Hey, you know, every church needs a Barnabas, amen? Every home needs a Barnabas. You need an encourager every now and then. Barnabas' concern was restoration. 
This was his nephew. I mean, this was his sister's son. He was concerned. Listen, I know he messed up. I know he left us. He departed from the from us there from the work. But he says, I spent some time with him here in Jerusalem. I've been to my sister's house. I think we should take him. I th- I've talked to Mary. I think he's worthwhile. I think we ought to reinvest in him. We ought to trust him. So, you know, I think both men were right. But, I, you know, I, but the, 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 they had such a contention. I mean, Barnabas wanted to force the issue. Paul said no. And they both held their ground. And the Bible says there was a rupture. I mean, that's literally the definition of the word. There there was a rift between the rupture, and they went two separate ways. Now, where did they hate each other? No, because we read later on in Paul's, Paul's letter that they got restored and, they, and, they, and things were fine. I mean, that's a good thing. Mature people, let me say it tonight, mature people and spiritual people, they don't hold grudges. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. They just get things right because they realize the bigger picture is not their personality. The bigger picture is Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen about that tonight out there? Now, look at here. Watch this now. He gets out. He's getting ready to go on his second mystery trip. And he, he makes his way back to Derby. And in Acts chapter 16, while he's there, the believers there at Derby and Lystra tell Paul, there is a young man here by the name of Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. And here's what happened. Paul's kind of surveying and scanning the congregation there at Derby. It's grown. Praise God for that. Amen. It's grown. There have been new faces. He sees this young man there that's eagerly just soaking up the word of God. And uh, the Bible says in Acts 16, 2, which was well reported by the brethren, there were Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took him and circumcised him because the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father's Greek. Now, here's what's going on. Paul saw Timothy and said, you know what? I like what I see. He's got a good report. He's got, a good, he's got good credentials. He's got a good testimony. He's well reported of. He's got a good report inside the church. He's got a good report outside the church. He has a good testimony. He's serving God. He's active. He's not lazy. He's not idle. He's busy. He's in the Word of God. He's got a good report from the pastor. He's got a good report from the mother. He's got a good report from the grandmother. He's got a good report from the brother and sister in Christ or Derby. He says, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. I think I'm going to bring this young man on our trip. And you have to bear in mind, Faith Promised Missions is just kind of unfolding at, 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 at that time. So I mean, that's one more mouth to feed and one more person to lodge and one more person they care of. And you have to bear in mind the Apostle Paul. I mean, I think he took very seriously that he's taking the, this young man, the uh, son and grandson from this very precious uh, family there. And he's realized, man, I better take good care of this kid. So he's thinking, I've got to take good care of him and all this kind of stuff there. And so Paul takes him. And now we get over to Philippians chapter 2. And Paul's not at Philippi. Paul, Paul took took uh, Timothy with him at Philippi. And Timothy saw first time what was going on. But Timothy had a very limited role there at, at Philippi when the church was started. In fact, I think if anything, Timothy was more of an observer. And he just was a go-to guy. He just probably... He was like a water boy, did whatever they needed him to do. And he's gone in the background because we, we don't read anything about, about Timothy doing anything there. It was really Paul and Silas there. And that doesn't mean he was lazy or whatever. It's just that basically the, the nature of the work there, they just needed him to do some background things. But now he's at a place, it's a few years later, and Paul's t- writing to the church in Philippi. He says, you know, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And I want to tell you why I want to send him to you. Because he's a son of the faith. Now, why did, why did he want them to know he's a son of the faith? Because back in those days, back in those days, 
Fathers and sons did everything together. Fathers and sons, they lived in an agrarian society. And in that agrarian society, they worked the farm. And they, they just did things together. They, 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 they planted together. They sowed together. They reaped together. They did labor together. They got up before sunrise. And they, went, they got in at sunset. They ate together. They hung out together. And a father's great desire, whether it was in farming or in carpentry or fishing, whatever it may be, if you study through the Bible, the great desire of every father's back in those days in the fishing industry, agrarian industry, whatever it was, they wanted to pass the business back to their son. So it was, it was just, it was just, you know, when a son was born and the father's mind would be this, I'm going to pass the family business to my son. I'm going to train him and I'm going to nurture him. I want to learn everything about the family business. I want him to take this over. The land was passed down. We know this from the Old Testament. Land was passed down by inheritance. If the land was passed down by inheritance, the family business would pass down by inheritance. That was just a likely thing. And so it would pass down for generation, a generation, a generation. You think about the fact that Jesus, his, his, uh, his, uh, that Joseph Joseph was a, was a carpenter and he learned carpentry from, from Joseph there. I mean, he learned to trade. Young men would learn to trade from their father. And Timothy, whatever it was, I mean, whatever his trade was, he had a Greek father, that whatever it was, I, maybe his father didn't have the same idea. But Paul had this idea. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and he had this idea. I'm going to have this son and I'm going to train him in the ministry and I'm going to train him in the things of God. He just thought about the fact, I'm going to invest in this son. I want him to receive this business. I, want, I see the gospel ministry continue, continue through him. Look again at verse 22 there in our passage. He says, he says here about him, he says, but you know the proof of him that is a son with the father. Now the church of Philippi saw Timothy studying Paul. They saw Timothy doing whatever Paul asked him to do. He studied him as a son with the father. He says, this is my son. I want you to know I have no bones to tell about to make about the fact he is my son in the faith. Now what does that mean? As a son, he was trusted. As a son, he was trainable. As a son, he was a great treasure. Listen, as we look at this, Paul's proof of Timothy was that he was a son. But I want you to notice the second thing. Look again at verse 22. Verse 22 says this. It says, you know the proof of him that is a son with the father. He has served with me in the gospel. Now, Paul's being even more specific. He's being even more specific about the relationship between him and Timothy. He has said, he served with me in the gospel. Now, do you know it was not only his son? I'm going to tell you tonight, and I say this unapologetically. He was a soul winner. Timothy was a soul winner, just like the Apostle Paul. He made no bones about the fact. He served with me in the gospel. He has been there when I preach these preaching campaigns. He's been there for one-on-one work. He's led people to Christ. He knows all about the ministry. He knows all about soul winning and discipleship and leadership training and reproducing ourselves in that matter. He understands the matter of soul winning. He's the son serving me with the gospel. Let me say this tonight. I'm going to get real personal about this tonight. The culture of this church, Heritage Baptist Church, the culture of this church must be about winning souls. It must be about discipling. It must be about preaching the Word of God. It must be about getting people saved. It must be about missions. It must be about raising finances for faith promise missions. It must be about looking at the inner city and the exterior areas, about winning people to Jesus Christ. I mean, our culture, if we're going to be a biblical church, and by the way, we are supposed to be a biblical church, is to win souls to Jesus Christ. Some people want a church that's all about fellowship. It's okay. Some people want a church that's all about networking, social life. That's okay. Some people want a church that doesn't push them to do what Jesus tells them to do. That's not okay, but that's what they have. Some people want a church that waters down the gospel and let the wolves come in and seduce the flock. That's not okay. Some people want a church where the pastor will let them build their little kingdom inside the church. Not okay. 
But I'm going to tell you what, regardless of what the philosophy and idea is, you don't come to church thinking, well, this is what the church should be, and this is what our church culture should be. Every mission statement of every church ought to embody Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. We are about winning souls. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about winning people. Christ. That's why I am an independent Baptist. That's why I'm an independent, fundamental, separated Baptist, because the independent Baptists advocate winning souls to Jesus Christ. Timothy, like Paul, was all about winning souls. You know, bones about the fact he says he is a son serving with the gospel. When you study Paul, he reproduced men who had his heart. They were fervent in spirit. They loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They went after souls. They endured hardness. They were doctrinally sound. They fought with the evil beasts at Ephesus. But most importantly, these were men who were so... And I'll tell you this tonight. You study the two men he mentioned there, and there are many more. You study Titus, and you study Timothy. One thing stands out. Paul did not trust anyone in a position of spiritual leadership that was not a soul winner for Jesus Christ. There. And that says something a lot about what we need to look at here. I mean, people want, I've got this talent here, and I've got this there. I don't care what your talent is. I don't care what you really think about yourself. If you're not winning souls to Jesus Christ, you're not doing Christianity basic 101. We ought to be at business of winning souls to Jesus Christ. That's it right here. It's in the Bible. It's right there. Like Brother Sam would say. It's right there. He's the son serving with me in the gospel. He was a son. And I'm just still on my first point. Amen. He's a soul winner. Notice something else. He's the same. He was the same. Look, look, look at verse 20 here. I have no man. Now that's sad. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Epaphroditus was recovering from a sickness. Church at Philippi had some issues going on. They needed some stability. Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Now, Paul wanted to know up front you're probably asking, why Timothy? Because Paul and Timothy were opposite personalities. Paul was very type A. Timothy was the complete opposite. Paul was a go-getter. No matter what. Timothy was too, but he had a little more grace about it. And Paul said this, I have no man like-minded. Now, like-minded doesn't mean similar. That's close. Like-minded means the same. The same doctrinally. The same when it comes to hardness, hardships. The same when it comes to preaching. The same when it comes to philosophy ministry. The same in every which way you can. He says, I have no man. He says, listen, I've got a lot of friends. And I've got a lot of people, I've, a lot of men I've trained. And I've got a lot of people I consider. But I have no man... That's like, like me, except for Timothy. And he said, you know, in sec, he said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others. He said, look it, okay, this is what I am. This is what I'm passing to you. This is what I'm passing to you. And you're going to pass to others. Uh, things which you've heard of me. The same commit thou to faithful men. The same. I look down several generations from now 
The Lord tarries. I'm praying for young men. They'll be the same. Same spirit. Same zeal. Same vision. Same desire. Reaching souls, planting churches, extension ministries, all these kind of things. I mean, I'm looking. We have a generation of young men and families that want to do that. He was the same who will naturally care for your sake. He says, listen, I, I want, I'm sending Timothy because I know when he comes there, he will love on you just like I would love on you. He will care for your state. He'll be patient with you. He's not going to run roughshod over you. He's not going to try to be a big shot. He's not going to try to be a bully. He's not going to do any of those things. He's just going to naturally care for your state. He's going to help you get the joy of the Lord back. He's going to help you through your situation. Now, he may not be like me, but I know one thing. I know he has a shepherd's heart, and I know he'll shepherd you, and I know he'll fill the spot well, and I know he'll take care of you. And that's all Paul said. I mean, that's, that's part of the thing there about ministry, that you have to find a pastor needs to have men that he feels like are like-minded to get the work of the Lord done. But when Paul says something like this, I have no man like-minded. I just want to tell you tonight, it is a very narrow and a very restricted area. There just are not a lot of men that are like-minded like that. We have to have men that are saved. I want to encourage our men tonight as we think about training. You need to be the same. You need to be the same about doctrine, the same about philosophy. You need to be the same about baptism. We don't have 15 different varieties of baptism. There's only one kind of baptism, and that's a biblical baptism. We don't have to have different forms of separation. There's only one form of biblical separation. There's only one kind of sowing. That's biblical sowing. We have to be the same in these matters. But he also said he proved that, that Timothy was proven not just because he was the same and not because he was a soul winner, but also because he was Savior sensitive. Look what he says here. For all seek their own. Now there you go. There you go. Is somebody serving because they have an agenda? Or are they serving because they love Jesus? For all seek their own. Not the things, he says, which are Christ Jesus. Our church is about giving Jesus Christ to glory. Unto Him be glory in the church. Our church is about advancing the cause of Christ. Our church is not about getting our name out there because we served so many meals and did so many things. Those are all good things. The number one thing is that people know that there's love here, that the gospels preach here, that Jesus loves them, this church loves them, our people love them, and we're doing everything we can to demonstrate the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line, Timothy was proven. He said, you know the proof of him. He was proven. Notice that secondly. Timothy was not only proven. Notice Timothy was profitable. Listen to this question that Job asked in Job 22.2. Good, good thought for a preaching sermon. Can a man be profitable unto God? It's a good thought. Can a man be profitable unto God? Timothy was profitable. Go to me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 very quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I spent a lot of time on the first point. But notice, first of all, Timothy was profitable as a representative. Now, when we read the New Testament, Paul is sending Timothy out to represent him. He's an extension of Paul's ministry. He's an extension of Paul's ministry. Paul realized with all the churches they started and all the needs that they had, he just had to have, he had to have a go-to man that would go out and do the work of the Lord there. Timothy was that man. Now, we're still in the area of Macedonia. We looked at Philippi. Now look at Thessalonica. Paul is not at Thessalonica when he's writing this letter. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 to 8. And I'm just going to hit some key words in here. And so, 
The church at Thessalonica was hurting. They needed some stabilization. They needed some help. But Paul was very burdened about their spiritual welfare. Paul was concerning, and you read this here, I mean, he's just really, really burdened about their faith. He's really burdened about what's going on. He's not there. He's got reports. He needs to see their faces, but he can't be there. And he wants to know. So he says in verse 2, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer. Now, there again, he's, he's, he's giving the proof of him. As our laborer, as our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. He says, notice this here in verse 2. I've sent him, I've sent Timotheus to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Well, number one, they needed preaching. They needed the word of God. They needed to have some meeting time, some face time with them. So he sent them to establish them, to, to work on their discipleship, to work on their faith, to strengthen their fundamentals, to strengthen their practices. I mean, read all about that in chapters 1 and 2. I mean, but he said, I, I've, I'm sending them to you to establish you to even further what has already been done there. But he says, I also recognize you're hurting inside. And we get a glimpse of that throughout the letter there because many of them were sorry because they had, they had loved ones that had predeceased them that went home to be with the Lord. And Paul had to write first to the Thessalonians to talk about the about the rapture and future resurrection and things like that and, and about things to come in the future. So he's trying to help them through their sorrow. So he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you to, uh, to, to comfort you. And then he said, he said in verse 3, he also knew that the Thessalonian believers were very moved and concerned about Paul's predicament because they were concerned that Paul was suffering and Paul was hurting there. And so they said, he said in verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. He says, don't worry about me. And he, he had talked about in chapter 2 about how the, these Jews from Judea came down and they persecuted him and they made him suffer things like that. And he says, don't worry about that. He says, God's going to take care of me. Don't be moved by these because they were concerned. Remember, he was only there three Sabbath, uh, Sabbath days and, and they, got a, they got off to a great start there at the church there, but they had to send Paul away. And, and then the same Jews that bothered him at Thessalonica, they followed him down to Berea and then he had to go down to Athens. I mean, it was just really rough for the Apostle Paul. I mean, just, he was kind of a, just, you know, just didn't really know where everything, how everything was unfolding. It's kind of a day-by-day thing. And so he says, don't worry about me. And then he says in verse 4, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. You know, now Paul this premonition is the, the prophetic side of him. He just knew that he was going to suffer. God said about that when he was called in Acts chapter 9. God said he would suffer a little bit. He said, you know, guys, I'm prepared for it. I'm ready for it. My mind is set. I don't like it, but it's going to happen. And that's just what it is. And then he said in verse 5, for this cause when I could no longer forbear. Now, he, he's worried about them. He's really worried about them. He said, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Now, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know for a man out there? How does he know he's supposed to keep pastoring? Well, as long as God puts in your heart that you're concerned about their faith and you have that shepherd's heart about what's going on and the people in your mind, you're to stay in your place. But the moment you lose it, the moment you don't have that feeling, that moment you're not concerned about their faith, the moment you become indifferent and apathetic what's going on, it might mean that God's getting ready, getting ready to move you on and somebody else needs to come in. And so he says here, he says here in verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I said to know your faith. Now listen, that ought to be concern for every one of us. We're concerned 
about the faith of our people. We're concerned if they're in church, are they growing? We're concerned if they're watching by live stream, is their whole heart into the message? We're concerned about where they are at in their spiritual endeavors. And he says, I said to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now bear in mind, they, he, he, this church had not been around for very long and he knew that Satan was working and Satan had made his way inside that church and he says, listen, I know you're facing temptation. He says, I don't want everything I've done. I don't want what I've poured out there to be in vain. I mean, that ought to be on your heart. You, you pour yourself into a, a person. I mean, I've had, I've had, I've had many, many disappointments where you pour yourself into somebody's life and you're just thinking they're going to turn around and they're, they seem to be asking all the right questions. And then you, you get the surprise. We're moving away or we don't like you anymore. Or we don't want this or you got this. I mean, they're just kind of feeling like, you want to, where did all this come from? And you feel like, man, I poured so much time to these people here. It's almost like, what, what happened here? And so Paul said, you know what? I poured myself into you. I want to make sure everything I've done is not in vain. I want to make sure that God is still at work in life. Notice verse 6. But now, remember Lena, verse 6, he sent Timothy down there to be a representative. Timothy was down there for X period of time. Timothy was down there preaching them and teaching them, having one-on-one time with them. And Timothy was there to, to gauge the spiritual temperature. And Timothy was there to bring back a report to the Apostle Paul. Notice in verse 6. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and notice this, notice this, he didn't bring bad news. He didn't bring stale news. He didn't show apathy. He, he, gave, he gave Paul very explicit understanding of what went down. He told him about names. He told him about people. He told him about faces. I mean, you can tell whether somebody is giving you, they're giving you a fraudulent report or if they're giving you a true report because a true report has names in it and a true report has faces in it and a true report talks about victories in Jesus Christ and how they overcame or trials and temptation. So he says, but now when Timotheus came from us unto you and brought us, notice, good tidings of your faith and your charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. He says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distressed by your faith. And he said in verse 8, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Now that, that's, you know, if you're not in the ministry, you don't understand this, but in the ministry, you live and die by one thing. Are they living for Jesus? Are they living for God? Are they victorious in Jesus Christ? For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Listen, as a pastor, I don't want you lukewarm. I don't want you, um, I don't want you floundering off. I don't I don't want you slipping off the radar screen. I don't want you sliding out of church. I don't want you living in sin. What do I want? I want to see you live for Jesus Christ. I want to experience. I want you to experience the joy of the salvation that's in Christ. I want you to see answers to prayer. I want you to see the power of God in your life. I want you to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ. I want you to be serving the Lord. He says, "For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord." So what's that to do with Timothy? He was profitable as a representative. He went down there, spent some time, and he spent some time with those people exactly as Paul would have done it. He met with them just exactly as Paul would have done it. And he came back and he brought good tidings of their faith and about their charity. He talked about their doctrinal soundness. He talked about how they were enduring hardness. He talked about them winning souls. He talked about what was mentioned in chapter 1, that the gospel was still exploding and people were getting saved and it was echoing out to all the regions around. He was telling them a good report. You know what that did to Paul? Man, that encouraged Paul. That lifted Paul's spirit. That made his day. That made his month. That made his year. That made his life. He said, for now we live, you stand fast, Lord. Listen, don't be somebody that all you do is bring a bad report. And don't be somebody that all you do is bring a critical report and a bad report and say something negative about other people. Be somebody that has something positive to say, something godly and glorifying that cheers the Spirit and lifts people's hearts. He was profitable because he was sent. He was profitable to the people he was sent. He was profitable to the one who sent him. He was profitable. That was the third thing. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, please. 
Oh, let me give you one more thing I forgot to say here. He was not only profitable in his representation, but he's profitable in his results. Now, Paul did not send somebody that was a filler. Timothy got things done. And a man come up here to do a training several years ago. Most profound statement he made. He says, my preacher did not hire me to do things. He hired me to get things done. Results. And Timothy was profitable. He was profitable to the ministry. He was profitable to the Thessalonians. He was profitable to the Philippians. He was profitable to Paul. But he's profitable because he, he produced results. He was a producer. He was proactive. He had initiative. He had intuitiveness. He had integrity. He was industrious. He was Paul's go-to man when it came to every single aspect of ministry. Soul winning, gospel preaching, discipleship, follow-up, follow-through, establishing programming, whatever's needed. Hey, let me ask you a question. Are you profitable? Stewards are supposed to give it, be profitable to God. That's what the Bible says. Parable of the stewards. Are you profitable? Are you a good representative? Are you giving God results? Hey, let me ask this question. Do things die or remain status quo with what you're given? Or are things, or are you profitable? If it's just status quo and they're dying, something's wrong. It's not God, because we have the same power, amen? We have the same power, we have the same, same God who works in these situations. I mean, there's something wrong and it's not God. Timothy was profitable. Notice in verse 10 of chapter 16, though, go back. Timothy was proven. Timothy was, Tim, Tim, Timothy was profitable. Notice Timothy was, we see the promotion of Timothy. He was promoted. He said in verse 10, Now if Timotheus come, and he put this margin in there just saying, in case the Lord leads him otherwise or the door gets closed. Now if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear. Now remember Paul... Paul was the only one that could write this kind of letter to the church at Corinth, okay? He had to deal with some big problems there. And sending Timothy there was kind of like throwing him into the lion's den almost. And he said, now, I know I've done what I need to, but if you read the context of 1 Corinthians, there were some very strong personalities. And... um, Maybe some were just very adamant they had to have their way. Uh, some had not repented. Some um, were a little leery of Paul. Because remember, Paul's apostleship was questioned, and we see that. We'll see that in Second Corinthians. In chapter four, verse seventeen, he talks about he talks about the fact there that he was going to send Timothy, and, and for this purpose, he said to bring them in remembrance of my ways, which being Christ, because they got off they got off track. So I'm going to send Timothy to you. Just like he did at Thessalonica, he wanted Timothy to comfort them, to establish them, to bring them a remembrance of things Paul taught, to reinforce things, to keep things in order, to do more training, to deal with the lingering problems, to start new ministries. But he said this, see that when he comes, he may be with you in fear. Now, he knew Timothy's personality. He knew the church of Corinth, their personality. He says, now please, when he comes, 
Don't make him feel unaccepted. Don't make him feel like he's unloved. Don't make him feel like he's unwanted. Don't make him feel like he's unnecessary. You know, Christians can get to a place where we, they get kind of in the flesh, and that's what happened to the Church of Corinth, where, you know, just personality preferences, it's preferences. You know, they think you're unnecessary, you're unwanted, you're unloved. He says, now you make sure when he comes, he's the servant of the Lord. He says, now you make sure he's with you without fear. Now Paul's promoting him. Paul is, is saying, you can trust him. Paul is saying, I trust him. And you can trust him. And he's going to be there. And let me say this tonight. If I'm not here preaching in the pulpit because I'm out of town preaching, or maybe I took a few days off, whatever, there's my wife, and I asked one of the staff members, somebody else to come in, don't a bunch of you abandon live stream or abandon church and go off somewhere else because you say, pastor's not here, so we'll go hear somebody else. Listen, if I put somebody there, it's kind of like Paul, I'm promoting and saying, you can trust him, you can trust me, he's an extension of what we're doing here, they're going to preach the word of God and feed your soul for that day. You can trust him is what he's saying there. He's going to comfort you along the way there. And so he said, and notice what he says in verse 10, he's he says, why did he have to say that? He had to remind them that Timothy was working the work of the Lord as Paul was doing also. Now here's what's going on. Paul was the old guy. Timothy was the young guy. And so some of the mindset was, ah, he's a little bit too young. He's a little bit too young. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not in your face like Paul. He's not bold. He's, too, he's, too, he's got too much grace about him, you know. Uh, you know, and he said, see, when he comes, he may be with you in fear. Now, he was promoting him. Let me say this about the work of ministry. We put somebody in ministry, the attitude should be, let's, let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Let's lift them. It's not about everybody, okay, lift up the arms of the pastor. Yeah, you need to lift the arms of the pastor, but let's lift up each other's arms too, amen? Let's lift up the arms of everybody else. Let's make sure we have a ministry that's thriving and growing. So he said, you know, make sure you understand that I'm sending him on my behalf, make sure he's with you without fear. He says, I'm promoting him. He worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Good philosophy ministry. We support missionaries who work the work of the Lord. If they're not doing the work of the Lord, I don't want to support them. I have preachers who preach this pulpit to work the work of the Lord. If they're not doing the work of the Lord, they're not preaching here. You serve on staff, you be able to be working the work of the Lord. You hold an office in church, which is just symbolic more than anything else, you need to do the work of the Lord. We're not here to play games. We're not here to mess around. We're not here to fill space. It's not a good old boys club. It's the church of the living God. It's the church of the living God. Timothy was promoted by Paul because he had integrity. He could be trusted with money. You've trusted with people. Timothy was promoted by, by Paul because he had initiative. He, was, he, was, he got things done. He saw the need and took the lead. Timothy was promoted by Paul because he was inspiring. He encouraged people to do things. He was industrious. He was a hard worker. He knew, hey, listen, I'm not going to send somebody that when it's 5 o'clock he's going to go home. He's just ready to do the, more, the work and do whatever he's supposed to do, and he's going to be there. And he's just going to say, you know, I want somebody who's hardworking just like me. I don't want to find out that I sent Timothy there and he messed up, and then he went home at 4 o'clock every day and didn't, didn't do anything else, didn't take any phone calls, didn't return text messages. And by the way, let me just say this tonight. It's rude when you're not returning messages. Timothy's been promoted because he was interpersonal. 
He works the work of the Lord. We see one last thing tonight. Timothy was promoted. Timothy was proven. Timothy was profitable. But look at verse 11. Timothy was protected. Now Paul said, I'm sending my best man to you. I'm sending my son in the faith. He has served with me as a father in the, uh, he served with me as a father, as a son with the father in the gospel. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He's going to come to bring you remembrance of all the things I do, and he works the work of the Lord. But he knew, because of what he had to deal with in this letter, he knew that Timothy would be attacked, that Timothy could be scorned, Timothy could get hurt. And he said to them, let no man therefore despise him. That means this. Let no man be spiteful of him. Let no man hold him in contempt. Because, you know, Timothy, Timothy had been briefly with him down at Corinth. He was there in, in read Acts chapter 18. He was there. And these people with their Grecian culture, they were rough. He said, let no man disrespect him. Let no man disapprove him. Let no man despise him. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.3 that in the end times, men would be despisers of those who are good. And we see it right now in our generation. Despisers of those who are good. Evil is called good and good is called evil. We're in a messed up, demented, twisted world. We still live in a day like they did in the day of Judges, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes, not in the eyes of God. It is a day of contempt, disrespect, in spite of authority. When on national news, the Speaker of the House takes his State of the Union address and disrespectfully tears it up in front of the camera, there's something wrong with our mentality. Amen, Pastor. And so Paul said, you might have a low opinion of the ministry, Corinth, and you may have a low opinion about the work of the pastor, Corinth, and you may have a low opinion about God, Corinth, and you may have a low opinion about God's word, Corinth, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm sending this young man to represent me, and he's going to go there because he does the work of the Lord. He's not going there because he doesn't have anything better to do. I've got other places to send him. I'm going to send him there to you because I want him to love on you for a little bit and help you along the way and encourage you along the way. I want him to get you stabilized. And he said, I just want you to know something. Let no man therefore despise him. Let no man hold him in contempt. Now, when Paul said that, Paul had to write a lot of things, and the Bible says a lot of things, about despising other people, about holding them in contempt. For instance, he told the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, despise not prophesying. And I think that was all-inclusive for all the churches. When he says despise not prophesying, he's saying this, don't despise the preaching of the Word of God. God, help your soul tonight. If you don't love preaching, there's something wrong with your soul. You ought to love the preaching of the Word of God. You despise preaching. You despise baptistic preaching. You despise uh, strong preaching. Let me tell you something tonight. You need to spend some time. You need to go up on a mountain somewhere with God and spend 24 hours, maybe 24 days with God. Let God saturate your heart and change your life and clean up your life because the Bible says, now you're clean through the Word which I've spoken unto you. Secondly, he said, let no man despise thy youth. He told that to Timothy. 
And I think Timothy many times wanted to throw in the towel, throw in his handkerchief. I think he just wanted to loosen up his girdle and say, listen, I want to get out of this thing here because no man, nobody respects me. I feel unwanted. I feel unnecessary here in the work of the ministry. I feel like people are always criticizing me. And Paul said to him, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. Paul said this, despise not those who have a weaker conscience. He knew Paul, Paul, he knew Timothy could deal with it because you had believers down there at Corinth that had a weaker conscience problem. They were struggling with this matter of Christian liberty. We read in the Bible about those who despised Moses and the law, and they died with, with two or three witnesses being present. That's found in Hebrews chapter 10. There were the children of Belial who despised Saul after he was anointed king. Michael, the wife of David, Michael despised David for showing his love for God in public worship. David despised the commandments of the Lord in his treachery against Uriah and Bathsheba. Hey, we read through the Bible, we find despising of things going on. But you know, the worst despising, worse than despising a Timothy, and worse than despising a Saul, and worse than despising, you know, whoever it may be, is despising God. And despising his word and despising preaching and despising the love of God and the works of God. And so Paul said here, when he comes, let no man therefore despise him. Now he comes here, you give him a good reception, you give him a good honorarium, you take good care of the young man, make sure he has a place to sleep, make sure he has food to eat, make sure he's got help. When he tells you something, don't sit there like a lump on a log, get busy for Jesus Christ, do something for God, but let no man despise him. You know, we do despite to God. When God calls us to do something, we just sit there and kind of wait and see who's going to be the first one. That's despising the word of God. Paul protected Timothy. Paul protected his real friends. He stood between them the attacks his enemies would send. Paul had authentic, true, real, genuine friendships that he felt like, you know, I'm going to protect these friendships. I'm not going to let anybody go after them and hurt them. So what's the main takeaway, Pastor Fong? Very simple. Be proven. Be profitable. Be protected. Be a promoter. Be someone who can be trained. Someone who can be trusted. Someone who's a treasure to the work of the Lord. Thank God tonight we read about this man, Timothy. Paul had such great confidence in him. He was a friend. He was a protege. He was a helper. He was a companion in labor. He was a fellow minister of Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. Let me encourage you tonight. Be stirred as a servant of God. What we saw tonight are principles of how God wants His men in the local New Testament church and the ladies to follow the faith of their pastor, to follow the faith of the Word of God, and serve God and honor Him. That's what we're supposed to do. Not every man doing what's right in his own eyes. He mean, Timothy was a son. He was a soul winner. He was the same. He was Savior-sensitive.